Welcome to Success Is Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman, serial entrepreneur, author, and podcast host. Whether success for you is more money, time with your family, a healthy, well-balanced life, or freedom, I'm interviewing guests and getting you the advice to make it happen. So join me as we uncomplicate the complicated, help you define success, and give you the strategies to make it happen. Hi, thank you for joining us today on the Success Is Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman. Joining me today is Stephen Short. Stephen is a strategy facilitator, team development coach, leadership coach, and personality profile. He has facilitated workshops, delivered keynotes, and taught on leadership across Europe, North America, the Middle East, and Asia. Thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Hi, Philip. How are you? Good morning. Good afternoon. Afternoon for me, morning for you. Morning for me. Absolutely. A cold, chilly morning, actually. Um, so let's start with the opening question. What does success mean to you, Stephen? Uh, so this is something that I actually in my world comes up quite a lot. Like what, what do you think success is and what does success mean to you? For me, it's uh, freedom to do, to have the choice to do what you want to do, whether that's make a ton of money by a yacht or whether that's just to make a difference in day to day. So the freedom to do what you want to do to me is the ultimate um, badge of success or the ultimate reward of success. Great. So we'd love to hear a little bit about you, uh, about your background, and uh, and give us give the uh, the audience a little bit uh, of your backstory. Sure. So I uh, grew up in two family businesses. Um, one was a, an ESL school in English as a foreign language school here in Dublin. Uh, the other is focuses on psychometric assessments, career guidance, personality profiling, selection of companies, that kind of thing. And so I've grown up in in both of those companies, done everything from um, hoovering, taking out the bins, polishing the letter boxes as a, as a child, doing the bank runs, doing the airport runs, to traveling, uh, meeting int- really interesting people from all over the world, uh, and then running the companies. Uh, I bought both businesses from my folks as part of the succession planning. Uh, my uh, former competitors and colleagues have called me everything from an evil genius to stuff that's far less complimentary because my last day in the English language business was on the 6th of December, 2019, which was the same day that the officials in Wuhan announced and confirmed that COVID-19 was a thing. So that obviously has had detrimental, devastating impact on the industry worldwide. Um, So I have, I managed to dodge that. Um, But now I focus on uh, career guidance. I focus on helping companies with their select, their family businesses in particular, with their succession planning. And I also do selection for companies and coaching for individuals. Great. Yes, I'm glad you brought up uh, COVID, uh, obviously being a a great disruptor. And, um, you know, we found people that had these jobs and when they got ripped from the job, uh, they realized that they didn't want to go back to those jobs. And I think mm-hmm. the last uh, data I read, something like 4 million people in the U.S. decided that they're not going back to the jobs that they once had. And, you know, they're willing to give up the lifestyle they had uh, previously just because they don't want to go back. And now they're faced with a situation where they're trying to figure out, what do I do? Where do I want to go? Um I, I know I don't want to go back to that. I don't just want to work to work or work to make money. Um, you know, I want a purpose in my life. I want to uh, enjoy what I do. Um, 
what advice do you have for those people or you know why would you say it's so difficult for them to decide what to do you know right now with their life so I think one of the problems with this uh, great resignation, as it's called, is as people are just leaving careers that they were never really passionate for or they kind of fell into and they got either a feeling of trapped or I've got to stay in this and uh, I've got to trudge into the office every day. I'll never get another job. Um, I think one of the things is uh, as we grow up, we're kind of ingrained to this idea of you've just got to get a job and your job is not necessarily, I mean, you don't get to be one of the lucky people where your job is fulfilling or your job is uh, changing the world or making a dent in the universe or something like that. But the wonderful thing about humans is that there's 7 billion of us. Every one of us is different. Every one of us is unique. Um, even if you say you're, you're one in a million, that's still a lot of people just like you. We're actually more unique than that. Um, so what you find interesting in a career is very different, perhaps from what I find interesting in a career, what you find rewarding, I might find apparent and I would hate to do that. And somebody else would think, geez, I would love to do that, but I don't have, uh, I don't have the ability or I don't have the, the desire. I don't have something else. So I think a lot of people got caught and uh, as in society, in Western society, people get caught in these careers that they just feel beaten into. And now with COVID, the silver lining in all of this has been people are able to see a way out of their unhappiness. So being able to take that uh, and find a career that they really truly are interested in, they really truly uh, feel passionate about is a unique uh, outcome of having this uh, COVID situation. So really, when people are looking at careers, they need to look at two main things. One, what are they interested in? What do they actually like doing? And there's a whole array of things that people enjoy doing. Uh, and then what are they good at? What are the things that, uh, what, what are their skill sets? Normally, that means what are their verbal, what are their numerical, and what are their abstract reasoning skill sets? Uh, sorry, can you hear me there? My headphones have just gone a bit funny. Absolutely, I can hear you fine. Okay, cool. Um, so what we do, what I would normally do is I would, uh, somebody talking about career guidance or something like that, I would sit down and I'd say, okay, Philip, if we were to sit down for the next three hours, how many careers, how many jobs do you think you could name? Quite a few, I'm sure. Yeah. So most people, most people, when I ask them this question, they say somewhere between say 250 and 300 different jobs that I could spend the next three hours kind of coming up with chef, delivery driver, CEO, accountant, lots of different careers. If I was to then say to you, okay, let's take this list and I want you to explain what's involved in each of those careers. So as you can actually explain to somebody that knows nothing about that career, what's involved in it. How many do you think you could get? Uh, maybe 50. So most people anywhere between, if we say 300, they either go or they drop it to 150 or even down to 50 as you're, you're saying. So we have identified 1,275, I think, careers that exist in the world. We have built a unique mix of interests, verbal, numerical, and abstract. So we can talk about multiple intelligences. That's a, that's a whole different conversation. But for 99% of the careers, you can get a really good sense of how well somebody's going to do on their ability to communicate, their ability to think outside the box, and their ability to deal with numbers. Those three uh, attributes can give us a really, really clear indicator. 
Then what we do, we've built a whole program called Career Fit where you can go in, do, it's about two hours. You can do it in multiple sittings. You don't have to do it in one go. And it goes through all of your interests and your aptitudes. And then we will give you a personalized list of 16 careers that you are going to be good at and that you're going to enjoy doing. And then we'll give you a description of those careers so you can truly understand them. That's fantastic. That's great. Honestly, I, so many people that I talk to that need that resource um, because they feel lost right now. And I, I'm glad we got a chance to talk to you today. Uh, so on the other side of it, uh, for the business owners uh, and leaders out there, entrepreneurs, um, how do they attract, you know, good talent? Um, that's the that's the real difficult thing right now is attracting and holding uh, good talent. And I, and I know there's a lot of different things companies are doing out there, a lot of additional benefits uh, that companies are offering. Um, and, and, and I actually, uh, I was reading an article about this company that after two weeks, they uh, offer uh, people that work for them $5,000 to quit. And uh, it's an interesting uh, situation because they said, well, if they're gonna quit, they don't understand the culture, they don't wanna be with us long-term, it's, it's less cost. Uh, it's more cost effective for us to just pay them the $5,000 and get them to quit because those aren't the type of people that we want to work for our company anyways. Um, so with that, with all the different ideas and things out there, how do you attract good employees? And then how do you, how do you keep them in this day, in this uh, post COVID kind of world? So part of it is, is actually understanding who you want. So um, asking, really understanding the who, what, does it mean to you in terms of your culture? When we say we want somebody who's ambitious. Okay, but what does ambition actually mean in your core values? Because ambition in one company could be cutthroat, sales at all costs, out there, getting the business in. Ambitious for another company could be somebody who wants to lift those around them and a rising tide lifts all ships and together as a team we grow. So really understanding um, what your who is who is it that is going to be the ideal candidate that will come in and form part of your next generation leadership team, help you to, to grow into the future? Getting an understanding of that and using um, something like competence-based interviewing and competence-based reviewing. So you're not actually, interviews at the moment suck. They're really bad because not, not, not these interviews, your interviews, brilliant, Philip, you're talking to me, but job interviews in general. Thank you for, for recovery there, yeah. <laughs> But job interviews in general, because we, as human beings, we have unconscious biases. That's how we have um, evolved to the point that we we currently are. We need these unconscious biases. It's how we figured out from ancient times and from near, like prehistoric man, is this person going to eat me or is this my friend? So like we have these unconscious biases and they are a natural part of our psyche. Problem comes when we don't regularly address these unconscious biases and actually challenge them and say, actually, maybe that's outdated. Maybe that's not true. Maybe I need to evolve. But having these unconscious biases is a fact. So if you're having doing a job interview and somebody sits down and they could be really good at their job, but if you are a, um, if you're a team player and they come across as being a bit of a team player and you go, okay, that's pretty good. So there's a similarity to me. But actually what we want is somebody who's going to lead this organization out. We want somebody who's going to push the boundaries a bit. 
we want somebody who's going to be able to take a little bit of slaps as they're actually building the organization out. But the other thing is they like the same sports team as me. So, I mean, that they're that's right. <laughs> that's if they like my sports team, they're going to be a great team player. You might have actually said, we want somebody to lead, to change, to affect all these things. But in your mind, when you're interviewing them, you're going, yeah, there's a lot of, I'm brilliant at what I do. They're very like me. So therefore, they are also brilliant. So they're the right person to work with me. All of these unconscious biases happen all the time. So really what we need to do is take a really hard look at the, the person spec. What's the type of personality that we want when we're hiring somebody and taking somebody on for, for our leadership and what that means in our culture and then putting numbers across everything. Every time you're asking a question, okay, how does that correlate to our core value or the core competency we're looking for? Mark that out of 10. And then you can go back to those numbers and you can start to see, okay, they didn't answer this one very well. And that's really important to us. So you can start to really gauge what it is that you're looking for and then how to attract the right person. Because once you're attracting the right people, once you're getting the right people to get your values, they get the job, they want to do the job, then you can grow your organization and your culture grows by design instead of by default. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective. I, so is, is that something that the leadership should look at their how they're biased or potentially biased as well as a self-examination of that as well going into the interview or potential... not necessarily how they're biased but having a, a proper look at what type of person they're actually trying to get what type of person they, they're looking to to find to take them to the next step and it could be that um this person is I and mean, we've done it before where we've had companies have come to us and go we want this type of person uh, the ambition one is a really good example is we want somebody who's highly ambitious and like, okay, tell us about your company. Well, we're a, a very community based. We are all about helping each other. There's no one person. We're all a committee. It's like, I think your definition of, of ambition is not what you actually want in a person. Yeah. So when you're writing ambitious, you're looking for the wrong thing. Um, the same, I had a, a, a colleague, a friend, a client in America who was dealing, she couldn't hold on to salespeople. She couldn't get um, salespeople to stay in the organization, but she was doing a lot of government contracts. So the, the way that they were getting sales, they were going to these websites, reading down through the information, finding the bits that they want, and then logistically organizing that. That's not traditional sales. Traditional sales is, is out there um, kind of schmoozing and everything else. So I actually, we got her to change how she's looking for people. So she's not looking for salespeople. She removes the term salespeople, even though that's what they do, but looking for process-driven, data-orientated people. And now they have a much lower turnover of staff, people who are actually yeah. getting the job, getting the idea of the job and enjoying that part of the job. And they are still salespeople. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, because I can see how a salesperson, if you put them in, in front of like a data type job, would lose their mind. I mean, that's not what those type of people enjoy. So that's, that's a fascinating perspective. I think first identifying what the position really is and defining it for yourself is incredibly important. And then put numbers on everything so you can actually scorecard these things. Yeah, I myself, I found that with hiring people, I, I need to understand what my weaknesses are as well. And one of the things that I <clears throat> have a habit of doing is bulldozing over employee ideas. Um, yeah, I get on something and it, you know, I'll just, I'll go right through it. And so I, I tend to look for, especially to, uh, the type of role. So if it's marketing or, you know, something like that, I want someone that's going to give me a little bit of pushback on it. I need mm -hmm. that. 
if they're working directly with me and they don't give me feedback, then I'm just going to bulldoze over them and then later on go, hey, that idea didn't work. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so one uh, thing that because we we do a lot of personality profiling stuff, we do a lot of, of team development things. One of the things that I've come to realize very, very early on is that any time that I'm working on a successful project or a successful business or any of the things that I'm involved in, my right hand person, whoever I'm working with, has to be a process driven data or detailed orientated person because I am not and I know I'm not. And there are, and I need I also need to understand that when they're processing stuff like I'll I'm like you, I'll be talking about stuff and oh, that's shiny. Let's have a look at that. <laughs> yeah, but I know from from painful experience that I need to actually let other people sit with an idea for a day or two before actioning it because they, the way that they need to go through that process and then think about it well, what about this because they're also working on through their checklist and through their their list of things that they need to get done uh, it's really really important so understanding myself understanding them and un so you said hire for your weakness so I know when I'm hiring somebody who's working directly with me, I need to make sure that their competencies are process driven, data driven, and we need to be able to still have a personal relationship so we can actually understand each other's strengths. Absolutely. And communicate well together. That's great. So you, you talked about uh, successful succession of business and being somebody who acquired your family business from your parents, I'm sure you learned a lot during that time. Um, is there anything you learned not to do during that time? Uh, yeah, buy a family business. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of mistakes along the way. And there was uh, early on in this. So my second daughter wasn't born yet. Um, just before she was born, I, I nearly left the family business. I, I nearly had to leave. I came home. I slumped down at the kitchen table and I said to my wife, I got to leave the family business because if I don't, my parents are never going to see their grandkids again because we're going to fucking hate each other. Sorry, I don't know what yeah. your language is. <laughs> we're going to hate each other and we're not going to be able to be in the same room. And as soon as I said that, I knew that I needed to do something like viscerally every fiber in my body said, nope, that's not what we want. So um that's when i started doing the research and um figuring out how to have these conversations instead of butting heads all the time and trying to force my way without looking at their side of things having meetings in their office or in my office so it was always highly contentious and it wasn't carving out okay let's go to a rugby match or let's go to out for dinner somewhere separate and let's not have the kids we'll we'll just have the conversations about the strategy and then we can have the family stuff and it's trying to to balance all of that for what makes sense in our family um so to the the flip side of that now is all those years ago when i was slumped down on my kitchen table not being able to be in the same room as my parents last year we completely renovated my family home we my wife and i sold our house and we're now living in my family home. My parents live downstairs. We live upstairs. Oh, fantastic. Interconnected house. Everything's like we have separation. We have space, but we're also, we see each other every day. So now we have dinner regularly sitting at the kitchen table 
and my kids are the fourth generation to live in my family home. So oh, cool. it's, it's really come, we've really done a number on it and we're still working together. So that's great. No, I, I, I've never had success working with family members and I, I, I don't know how people do it. Um, I just, that relationship has never worked out for me in the past. I've had family members work with me or partnered on a project together and it has never worked out well. So I'm always intrigued when uh, somebody is able to find success with that. So, so, you know, when coaching people on how to select the right person to replace them as the business grows, uh, is there one thing that you can say, this is what you should look for, any particular quality and character, uh, such as putting an emphasis on work ethic or intelligence or leadership qualities, or maybe a different hat they have to wear to take the, the organization to another level? Um, no, because I mean, it's a very consultant thing to say, it depends. So if you have, so again, another colleague who I worked with, who uh, he is a very typical uh, sales orientated CEO. And he was talking about succession planning and he wanted to figure out what he would do. His son was starting to come of age to join the family business, but his son is not sales orientated. He is not interested in being out there, going to the networking events, getting in the business. So we sat down, we did some personality profiling. We kind of, okay, well, your son is much more detail oriented, much more a process leader. You are much more of a person, a people leader, a results leader. So how do we marry these two things for the next generation of the business? So what the plan currently, it's still being decided within the family. The plan is to get in an external CEO to take over from my friend, my colleague, um, for that CEO to very clearly from day one to go, okay, you're getting paid a ton of money to take us from three and a half to 12 million, whatever it is, whatever those targets over 10 years. My son is going to work alongside you as the COO, the operations guy. He's going to make sure that stuff runs smoothly. He's going to understand every facet and every nuance of the business. And then in 10 years time, you are going to get a massive payout. You're going to be able to take that experience and go off and be the CEO for some other massive organization. My son is then going to step in as a process leader, CEO type. Mm. And then he's going to steer the business from 12 million to, to keep it steady. Along the lines of if we imagine Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. So sure. Tim Cook coming in, the business was grown and now he's... He, he had a steady hand on the tiller to keep it going at a, at a pace as opposed to the chaotic um, fits and bursts of Steve Jobs. So there, it depends on your mix of personalities that you have at play. It depends on what you want. You might even decide, okay, I have two kids. We need to grow the business for five years and then we need to stabilize it. So actually, Sean is the sales guy, so he's going to be the CEO for the next five years. But then Sally is actually much more process driven and she's a steadier hand to be able to, once we get to a certain point, to scale that at between two and 5% a year. So he's going to be CEO for five years, but then he has to understand that he's going to be stepping out and then becoming the marketing director or going off starting something else. And she's going to oversee the thing. So it depends on the culture of the organization. It really is so important to understand the purpose of what we're actually trying to accomplish. Then we have the pick, who's the right person, and then the prepare. How do we get them ready? Absolutely. I think that's brilliant. A lot of 
you, you see the, a, a very wealthy family and then the the kids can then struggle, you know, when the, the parents pass on. And um, I think not looking at the differences that your kids have from your personality type to like what you described with the sales component. I know my kids are completely different mm -hmm. uh, than I am to have different strengths and, and, and different weaknesses. And that's, that's okay to like what you described, as long as you partner them up, pair them up and set up the organization um, that's going to use their strengths to help grow the company. So this is one of the thought experiments that I do with family businesses is the challenge and to think about this, that actually no family member should ever join a family business. A family business should always join the family member. So if you have somebody who you know your kid is coming up and they have these strengths or they have these interests, which is not a core part of your business now, but actually could be a really interesting add-on, you can then start to build that department with them in mind to start moving it 1%, 1 degree a year to be on this trajectory. So as by the time they're up and ready to do it, they're hitting the ground running and the business is already moving in that direction for them to be able to step into their strengths and take it to the next level. That's great. So as business passes from one generation to the other, uh, it risks losing its vision uh, to changing society um, and values. Uh, how do you ensure that the business will thrive throughout the generations without losing the direction? And, and how do you plan for adaptation? Well, I mean, the direction is going to change all the time. I mean, it has to. That's so. There's four things that a business can do when the current generation decides, excuse me, when the current generation either decides they don't want to be in it anymore or unfortunately they pass away. There's four things and they all, they're four S's. The company can either stop. So the founder dies, no plans are in place, everything falls apart and just the shutters come down and it's done. Nobody really wants that. The second one is you can sell the business. There are hundreds of professional services, people, accountants, lawyers, everybody else who can help you with that. No problems. The third one, which is the most common mistake I see is survive. That's where you put somebody in to see things through without rocking the boat and changing. Unfortunately, markets change, markets adapt. And if you don't have somebody that's able to do that, they're just keeping steady with what worked 10 years ago, we're going to keep going. Um, then survive is really just a prolonged stop and it's much more painful. I mean, if we imagine if you were keep doing what you were doing 10 years ago, podcasts weren't really all that popular. TikTok didn't even exist. YouTube was barely out of its infancy. So, and that's only 10 years. That's not even a generation of 20 years. Mm -hmm. The fourth S, which I'm most interested in is scale. It's getting the right person in the right place to bring it to the next level. That means that the BHAG, the 30 year vision probably is going to change because the world has changed. So the, the current generation's 10, 20 year vision could be, it might even be close to being realized. So if it's close to being realized, you've got to have another vision anyway, or they might've said, okay, we are going to be the number one uh, resource in petrol stations. Okay, everything's going electric. Oh shit. Okay, right. What do we do? So we've got to pivot. We got to see what we have. We got to see what we're doing and where the future is going in the next 30 years. Um, we are going to be the number one um, Blackberry personalization device. Yeah, Blackberry's <laughs> not here anymore. So, I mean, that's got to change. That whole business has got to change. 
Um, and all of these models are going to be different. So there, there has to be pivots, there has to be changes throughout the evolution of any business. You might still be in the same thing. You might have a family bakery, you might have a family department store. So the physical brick and mortar might still be there. The name is still there. What you're technically doing is still the same, but you are not selling products that your grandfather sold. You are selling much more updated, refreshed. It doesn't look the same. Um, or if it does, it does so by design and it's very modernly uh, fixed. So there are lots of changes that happen and have to happen to reflect the marketplace. That's great. So Stephen, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, so I am uh, pretty much, I, I'm all over uh, social media and the web, so you can find me at Stephen Short, but a couple of things that I've mentioned today. So first of all, if you want to get some information on the careers program, it's called Career Fit. Uh, so careerfit.com, you can get a report there, uh, all ready for you to just fill in your details. Uh, or the successful succession is where you can find out about what I do with uh, family businesses. Succession planning. Yeah, and I think that career fit. So if you're stuck, not sure where you want to go, check out that career fit. Um, great resource. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen Short, for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure. We'll see you all next time. Well, thank you guys for watching today. Be sure to like and subscribe for more future episodes of Success Is Podcast. If you have any suggestions, please comment below. Look forward to seeing you next time.